All right, sweethearts, what are you waiting for? Breakfast in bed? Another glorious day in the Corps. A day in the Marine Corps is like a day on the farm. Every meal's a banquet. Every paycheck a fortune. Every formation a parade. I love the Corps. Man, this floor is freezing. What do you want me to do? Fetch your slippers for you? <laughs> Gee, would you, sir? I'd like that. Look into my eye. Welcome to the Review to Death podcast. I'm Marcus. And I'm Luke. I hope you guys are ready for the love fest that we're bringing for the movie Aliens, which is what we watched tonight. Yeah, so this is Aliens, the 1986 sequel to the 1979 original directed by Ridley Scott that we uh, covered last time. And yeah, we're going to like it a lot. We watched the 1990 special edition, which added around 20 minutes of new footage. So basically, it's like a special edition. Think of it as a director's cut. And um, yeah, you know, if I'm going to suggest a, a version to watch uh, of Aliens, watch this one. It's great. It's uh, it's longer. It's uh, it's two and a half hours long. So it's a commitment. But, you know, in, in this day and age, you know, who the fuck cares? And uh, it, it's great. It's fucking awesome. The stuff they add into it is is fantastic. Man, it, it's just it's all good. Even if you watch the other one, it's all good. But this one is better. It's more of a good thing. What they added in is that they added in some stuff at the beginning on the planet itself before Ripley shows up on planet LV-426. There's a the, the bulk of the new footage is a scene of Newt's family, you know, follow, finding the first facehugger, the ship on that they found an alien. That's right. So so Newt. Is, is a new character in the in the series. She's a a little girl. I'd say you know she's what what would you guess like ten years old around that maybe yeah. maybe a little younger but yeah yeah about ye ye, ye old and uh, it's uh you know it turns out that uh, well Ripley when we next time we see her it's been fifty seven years since the Nostromo blew up so it's been a long time and in that time Wayland Yutani has actually colonized. LV-426, uh, much to Ripley's chagrin. And uh, we cut to uh, LV-426, and it's Newt's family. So it's Newt and her brother and her parents. And uh, they're driving around. And uh, hey, lo and behold, uh, they find a horseshoe alien ship, which uh, somehow got not discovered until just now. Yeah, like that new footage that we talked about is what happened on the planet before. The biggest difference between aliens and alien is that alien is firmly a sci-fi horror movie and aliens is a sci-fi action movie oh big time oh big time and uh you know i i i watched this you know making up doc called um superior firepower and that's one of the things they wanted to go for they want, didn't want to recreate the original 1979 which by you know it's it, this is 1986 so even by 1986 standards this was a classic uh they didn't want to just you know repeat that they wanted to make a a combat movie per james cameron uh he, the director of this movie he wanted a whole lot more action bravado and explosions but he didn't skip on the horror either man he fucking knocked out of the park so as the title suggests there is more than one alien 
In the first movie, there's you know famously just one alien that was on that ship. Now there's multiple, at least 158, because they show that the population of LV 426 is 158. We find out that uh, the col- you know that many colonists are on that uh, that rock. They're trying to you know make it livable. Just so happens, right when you know when they recover Ripley's pod, 57 years later, that's when the colony goes dark. And so they're going to send a whole bunch of space marines to show up on this planet, fight with the aliens, and then, uh, you know, Ripley becomes a badass, so on and so forth. End of movie. We're going to go into a little bit more further than that, but we are going to skip around a bit. But I want to start with the space marines because their relationship with each other is what makes this movie. And I do know that, like most movies, Aliens was filmed out of sequence, and they filmed these you know, Marine sequences at the beginning when they're introduced, they filmed it, they filmed it at the end of the shooting schedule because they wanted to have that, you know, camaraderie. And so these people had been making this movie together for a while. And uh, it's, it's great. Every fucking Marine, except for the ones that don't get names because they die real quick. But every mission, every Marine with a name is like perfect. There's no other word for it. Oh no, it's it's fantastic. I feel like we're like running this into the ground, but uh when we talk about like Jaws, for example, like those three guys, right? Like they have that camaraderie together and it's uh it's perfect. You know, it's like these guys have known each other for years. Well, this one that's what this is. You know, you introduce these group of Marines, which by the way, they they make this movie. Don't get me wrong, Ripley's fantastic and she gets better as the movie goes on. Not to like minimize her role. But, uh, man, these Marines are what, uh, especially as a young kid, for me, made this movie for me. You know, you, you get, you know, Corporal Hicks, played by Michael Bean. You know, you get Bishop, played by Lance Hendrickson. Private Hudson, played by Bill Paxton. Private Vasquez, played by uh, Jeanette Goldstein. I mean, Sergeant Napone, played by Al Matthews, who, I mean, he's a dead ringer for the Sarge from the Halo games. It, they're all perfectly cast. They all interact with each other in perfect ways, the way you would imagine like a group of like, you know, combat weary veterans would. And it's amazing. These are the guys that are going to get dropped into LV-426 with uh, Ripley, who has been warning about this uh, alien menace, who they're not taking seriously at all. It's fantastic. It's such a great, great setup. As a young boy who was watching this movie and was super into Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and super into action movies, like you idolize these characters. I I wanted to be Hicks when I was growing up. Agreed. I wanted to be Hicks too. I figured I was going to be Hicks. That, that was going to be me when I grow up. I wanted to be a badass motherfucker. <laughs> As we were watching this movie tonight, though, we realized we were both Hudson, though. Absolutely. I turned out to be Hudson. That's what I was going to be. I was going to be the, the guy that freaks out. And uh, as soon as the leadership breaks down, I'm going to fucking blame everybody and flip that fuck out and die. (laughs) (laughs) Almost every scene that has a Marine in it is imminently quotable constantly. It's like, and and we're not talking like single quotes out of a bigger scene. It's like almost every single line, a few of them to which Luke and I use even to this day. Sergeant Apone is doing roll call. And he calls on uh, on Hudson. Yeah. And Hudson's like, hey, how do we get out of this chicken shit outfit? I mean, I, that's fucking perfect. I, I still use it to this day. It's, it's great. What are we supposed to use? Harsh language? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but Marcus and I like to uh, play our uh, our multiplayer video games together. We don't really do, uh, you know, multiplayer with other people. So just me and him. And that that comes up a lot. <laughs> that and uh, keep this handy for close encounters. Fucking shotguns, baby. Every time anyone, any one of us gets a shotgun, we pretty much say that line. One of the things that we both enjoy about this movie is the action sequences. It's typical for James Cameron movies. They are fantastic. You always know what's going on. There's this, you know, this sense of excitement and uh, unpredictability because you don't know where things are coming from. And I, I know that when the, the first action scene you get is when the Marines are confronted by these aliens and it's chaotic because they, they don't know what these things are. They don't know what to do. They, um, are getting really terrible orders from their inept lieutenant who's you're sitting back, you know, away from harm. You're hooked immediately. If you weren't hooked with the Marines getting to know each other, you, you're you're done now. You're in it. Yeah, so it's it's not enough the fact that, uh, you know, these guys are, you know, pretty easy to like anyway, but they're they're led by a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> his, his, you know, his name is Lieutenant Gorman. And, um, you know, pretty early on, you, you get to pretty much hate Lieutenant Gorman. And uh, the first time they get into trouble, Gorman turns out to be as inept as you would think he would. This is also the first instance that you get where Ripley is a complete badass because she takes over the situation, you know, starts driving the like tank type car thing that they're in to go. Oh, yeah, the. Uh... The APC, man, right? Yeah. The, uh, yeah, right. That thing's fucking great. To go to go rescue the Marines that are still alive. Escaped with her and the remaining Marines, they call up to the dropship, which is the called the Sulaco, and they want, you know, the the their uh, their unit's pilot to bring the other ship to bring the uh, other ship over to get them so they can leave the planet and uh, nuke it from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Right. Another iconic line. This is where you get the inkling that Burke, who's sort of like the company man, played by Paul Reiser, who has like been along for the ride is, you know, like the to keep that company's interest in mind is that he's got ulterior motives. Tell me why I love you like I do. Tell me who can stop my heart as much as you. Tell me all your secrets and I'll tell you all the mine. Paul Reiser. So Paul Reiser's Burke is into the final frontier with these space marines, and he definitely does not want the planet to be nuked from orbit because his corporation, Weyland Yutani, wants these aliens just like they did in the first movie. They want to use them for, you know, bio warfare, stuff like that. And, you know, the space marines at this point have not completely figured out. And Ripley has not completely figured out, like, why he's doing this. But as, as the viewer, you definitely know basically ash from the first movie except he's it's worse because ash was programmed to be the way he was but uh burke is a human he's 100 percent human and uh he's just towing that company line that mega corporation you know do whatever it takes line to do whatever it takes to uh protect their assets and it doesn't matter if it means a sac- you know, sacrifice of uh, Ripley or Newt or any of the Marines. So, um, yeah, he's basically the worst fucking character in this entire movie. So, as you can probably imagine, things are not going to end well for this group. And the, the way that I think we should go forward here is I wanted to talk about, you know, some iconic lines and some iconic 
scenes or shots, stuff like that. The first thing that comes to mind after this is when the when the ship's coming over with the pilot and she's like getting ready to take off and she thinks it's her second commands coming in, but the mm-hmm. door opens behind her and she turns around. And it's just a fucking alien mouth. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's when, uh, oh, dude, it's uh, Spunkmire. Yeah. Yeah, Spunkmire and uh, and Pharaoh, man. That's when uh, they both die. So now they're completely stuck on this planet for the most part. They know that they can get the other dropship from the Sulaco and, uh, you know, remote, remote piloted down. So Bishop, who is the android in this movie, who Ripley is, you know, <laughs> has a problem with, you know, based on past experience. And remember, she's, you know, that's still very new for her because she just pretty much woke up, you know, before she's with this other android. And uh, for as famous as Lance Hendrickson got for playing Bishop in this movie, he's actually not in the movie very much. Uh, no, he's not. He's only at the beginning of the movie and at the end. That's pretty much it. And a little um, bit and a little bit in the movie where they're talking about remote piloting the ship and Bishop's the only one that's qualified to do so. So he's got to crawl through some uh, air ducts to go get to, you know, like the control center tower. Yeah, they basically make him like Shawshank Redemption his way through like a, a whole bunch of pipes <laughs> all the way over to this like piloting station so he can, uh, you know, pilot the ship. But uh, oh, also, man, we we got We can't skip over it, man. After uh, a Spunkmeyer and and you know Corporal Farrell uh, crashed the uh, you know the ship, we get the famous game over, man. Scene. Bill Paxton's Hudson. It's game over, man. It's game over. What the fuck are we supposed to do now? Game over, man. Oh, dude, it's so good, man. This is this is great. This is why I mean when I say that you know Paxton's character is us. That's that's. For sure. <laughs> That's exactly what we do, man. That's that's what I would do anyway. I'm like, but we're fucking, we're really fucked now, man. The next scene that really stuck with me in this is that you know, because the Marines are all sort of hung up. Uh, the Marines are sort of hanging out in the med bay. Gorman's been knocked out. He's finally waking up now because he, you know, in that first skirmish, he, you know, lost his shit. He's he's better now though. He's his character's changed because you know the movie gave you Burke to hate, so you don't have to hate Gorman anymore. And uh, you're really gonna start to hate Burke. Uh, in this med bay here because you find out that you know uh, Ripley is you know putting Newt to bed if you will and they're hanging out in one of the rooms and Burke has purposely let out a couple of face huggers into that room and locked them in there yeah so it's you know I don't know if you mentioned but the heart of this movie is is Ripley and and Newt okay it's uh the the theme of it is, is motherhood okay it's 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 motherhood it's uh it's Ripley and Newt, you know, Ripley found out uh, after she woke up, you know, 57 years after Nostromo broke, you know, blew up that uh, her actual daughter has died of old age. So now she has Newt. She has a a new daughter to take care of. Uh, At the same time, we're going to kind of skip ahead a little bit, but it's the alien queen that has her eggs to take care of. And these two unstoppable forces end up meeting each other and it ends up being you know a battle royale to see you know to see who wins whose offspring wins and and, and you know that's kind of the the, the theme of the movie if, if you get right down to it so after burke has let these two you know face huggers out you get some really tense scenes you know where like ripley's trying to because she realizes what's happening she sees like the broken things on the ground 
and she's like jumping in front of the camera, which it cuts over to Burke, and he like turns the camera off because he's a fucking asshole. And then uh, Ripley gets the fire alarm to go off to you know get people's attention, and you get one face hugger that like flies at her face, and then another one's crawling out from behind Newt, and like the the movement of the face hugger. And at this point, you know, we we didn't mention this before, but for aliens, Stan Winston, who we've mentioned a lot in this last month here on the podcast, has taken over the alien effects in this one. And everything looks great, and especially the movement. It just makes your skin crawl, like when, you know, when we were watching Arachnophobia. Exactly. And they look like giant spiders that want to wrap their tail around your neck and thrust their fucking whatever it is down your throat and implant a uh implant a alien into your into your chest so yeah you get this really fucking tense scene you know finally uh hicks and the remaining marines kind of mobilize get in there and they they you know they kill the face huggers you know and, and it sets up the last uh you know really pretty much the last 30 minutes of the movie which is it's all action-packed man it's just like it's just hit after hit you know when the uh the, you know the marines have set up a perimeter with uh with sentry guns they look at their motion trackers so they, can, they can kind of see you know they get these little motion trackers so they can kind of see what's going on even beyond the doors and walls and see what's you know if anything's coming and they see a whole lot of white dots coming on their motion trackers they they don't see them it's like one of the lines that hudson said is like you know they can't be here that's inside the room it's because they're crawling in the ceiling you know, just above them. And that's the other scene, the other shot that I want to talk about is that freaked me the fuck out as a kid when I saw it. Hicks like pokes his head up through the ceiling tile. Oh, yeah. And it's just like a mass of aliens, like xenomorphs, just crawling through the ceiling quietly. And he fucking freaks out and he falls down and he's like shooting at the ceiling and then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> and then from this point on, it's, it, as Luke said, it's all action. Well, yeah, he freaks out and we freak out because one of the things, I don't know if it was uh, intentional or if it was a budget thing, but we still don't get to see the aliens all too much during this whole movie. We we get to see the, the Marines shooting at stuff and we get to see stuff blowing up. We get to see the aliens blowing up, but it's only like, you know, like split second intervals. But in this scene, when he peeks his head up, you know, in this like suspended ceiling type, you know, situation, you know, you get to see like a whole shitload of aliens crawling towards him, and it, it is absolutely terrifying. And then, then just yeah, it's kind of like that scene in Predator when uh, all the boys open up on the jungle. It's pretty much yeah. what happens. Yeah, it's there's not much they can do. It's just full retreat mode. Uh, everybody pretty much gets out except for Hudson. The, oh. the Hudson gets dragged down oh. through the floor, and. Uh, it, one of the things I only got with that is like, you know, he's going out fighting. So he's shooting down. He's trying to get pulled and like Hicks is trying to pull him out. And you see like one alien claw hand coming over his face and pull him down. Like, oh, man, that's fucking terrible. I will say, hey, man, at least uh, Hudson went down fighting because the way he was acting for most of the movie, he was kind of a coward. So he fucking went down fighting. So, yeah, fuck yeah. You know, Hudson, you fucking did it, man. You went out like a hero. Speaking of cowards, fucking Bert tries to run from away from everybody and Mother lock everybody. Fucking Bert. <laughs> lock like lock the door behind him. And you know, thankfully, he like turns around and opens the door and there's a alien waiting for him there. So fuck that guy. He gets face smashed by an, by an alien. It's awesome. 
Yeah. So they're all trying to run to where Bishop is. Hicks and Ripley and Newt are sort of out ahead. Newt's got this tracker on her because Hicks gave it to Ripley just to keep track of each other. Like a bracelet, right? Yeah, but uh, Ripley kept it on Newt. And Vasquez and Gorman, Gorman, who you fucking love now, are, are fighting in the vents to try to keep the aliens off of them. And they get stuck and they, they, get, a, they get a pretty cool ending. I mean, it's, it's sad, but it's cool. I'd say this is the saddest scene in the movie, man. Like Gorman, who we hated at the beginning of the movie, and Vasquez, who we, you know, always loved because he's fucking great. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, they're like down to the last bullet and fucking they're in the vents and they got aliens coming from every fucking side and Gorman just pulls out the grenade and Vasquez looks at him. He's like, I always knew you were asshole Gorman. And they fucking pull that grenade pin and everything blows up. Like, oh, fuck. The things I always liked about that scene is like when Gorman pulls out the grenade, like Vasquez looks at it and looks at him and you like you see in her eyes. She's right away. She's like, yep, this is the fucking way that it should be. And then also like, um, you know, like she, he's holding onto the grenade and like she puts one hand over it and he puts his other hand over hers and she puts his hand over his, you know. Yeah, it's like it's like a tender moment. It's like yeah. it's, if I'm I mean, it's like the only tender moment in this whole movie, like these two, like completely opposite characters had no reason to be you know bonding for any reason they find this this ultimate you know way to bond and it's it's very sad it's very sad and they both die yeah but in the end man they're both marines man it's the same we're not like a hero we're not like heroes you know hicks and ripley and newt are trying to make their way back and um they're in this i don't know it's like maybe like this generator area where like there's this drum and there's like a water underneath. And uh, this is another iconic shot where Newt falls down into the water. Ripley and Hicks are running around trying to find an access point to her. And they finally find her She's sticking her hands up through the bars. And they're, you know, like, they're just, wait a second, let me cut you out. And they're using the like world's slowest like cutter to try to get her out of there. And she's just sort of like calmly waiting in the water when behind her, fucking alien xenomorph just pops up behind her quietly sort of like in the first movie when henry dean stanton's character gets killed you know oh for sure man was that was that his name was brett yeah when he's yeah. uh yeah they just lowers down from the ceiling in in this scene it comes out out of the water behind uh newt and you know this is a character that at this point you know, you're, you've kind of gone to love. Like, you're cheering for Newt. You want her to survive. She's been through some shit. You know, she gets taken. She gets fucking taken. So right now, it's just Ripley and uh, and Hicks. Yeah, and from past experience, when people get taken, I mean, that's it. You're not going to get them back. And uh, Hicks is injured on the way up because, like, they're trying to get up an elevator and they blow up an alien and the acid gets out onto his, you know, on his chest plate and stuff. And so he's pretty fucked up. And... um when Ripley is like bandaged him up and put him on the ship with Bishop, who's he's gotten the ship down and he's flying it. She gets that little blip blip from the tracker and Ripley just can't, can't leave her. Can't oh, leave yeah, her she, down. She gets that. She, she says the, she utters the, uh, the immortal line, man. We're not leaving. Yeah. We're not leaving. It, to Hicks, to which Hicks says, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> And, and you she, get a fucking you get a fucking evil dead type montage of Ripley getting fucking armed to the teeth. Yeah, man. She gets ready. She straps a flamethrower and a pulse rifle together. Mm. You know, makes this new hybrid weapon. Mm. Goes down, goes down the elevator, 
And this is where we haven't really talked about it before, but the score in this movie, James Horner did the score in this one, taking over for Alan Silvestri in the first movie. The score is a bit more action-packed, and it is used more than in the first movie. But at this last part, when she gets off the elevator, the score's gone, and it's just the sounds of Ripley breathing and, you know, air and weird alien noises. And, you know, it's great. You know, the absence of music is as effective as the music itself. Yeah, it's just like in the first movie, right? At the end of the first movie, there's there's yeah. no score. But in that movie, it was all used for, you know, can Ripley get off the Nostromo in time before the alien gets her? In this scene, it's Ripley fucking armed to the fucking teeth with a, a flamethrower strapped to a machine gun. She's she's fucking going down there no matter you know, the fucking plan is planet is exploding by the way at this point because this this reactor is unstable so everything's blowing up and you have this elegant manis and she's going down there no matter what she's going down there to rescue newt because you know fuck all that shit and uh yeah the score just pauses and it's just her and again klaxons you get uh, <laughs> fucking klaxons you fucking clack you get you steam you, you get strobes and it's uh, it's Ripley going down there. She's got her uh, her locator because she wants to track down uh, Newt's uh, you know you know her wristband. And uh, oh my god, it's, it's just from here on out, this is what makes the movie legend. Yeah, so she finally does find Newt, and as she's trying to leave, it gets silent again. You know, the score popped back up for a little bit. It gets silent again because she's in the Queen's chamber, and fucking Stan Winston, fucking Stan Winston. Fucking Stan Winston. Because, again, there's no score. It's just breathing. And, like, this big alien queen with this huge fucking frill on her head just slowly stands up. And, like, the mouth pops out. And, like, the coolest fucking thing is it, like, opens her mouth super slowly. And you're expecting, you know, like, an alien scream like you've heard before. But you just get, like... You know, just like a out, you know, exhale. What like makes you shiver. It's awesome. You know, H.R. Geiger was going to be consulted to be brought back for for this movie, you know, because, you know, he he was so involved in the first one. And uh, James Cameron decided against it. You know, Geiger was uh, working on Poltergeist 2 at this time. The only design left to do was the Queen. Cameron decided not to do it because... I guess Geiger is a pretty eccentric guy and he didn't want to work with that guy. So he just let him and, and Stan Winston figure it out. And man, uh, as much as I love Geiger, the guy's fucking awesome. Check out his post on Imager. He, they knocked it out of the park. The alien queen looks amazing. She is an iconic villain that you will not soon forget if, uh, if you've ever seen this movie. She, she looks amazing. And uh, her showdown with Ripley you know, Ripley's holding Newt at this point. She's, it's, uh, oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah, she's setting fire to the egg because she knows it pisses the queen off. So she's just trying to buy time at this point because, you know, she can't, there's not much else she can do. Yeah, and, but by, the, by this point, man, you got to remember, man, LV426 is on borrowed time. It's about to all blow up. So she does make it back to the elevator, you know, through <laughs> just some fucking luck and well-placed fight, flamethrower shots and, shooting aliens with one fucking hand while carrying newt in the other just 
classic badass, fucking Ripley badass, makes it to the elevator, gets back up. The queen also makes it to the other elevator and is coming back up there. And she gets back up where she told Bishop to meet her. And Bishop's not there right away. She's like, oh, these fucking androids, fucking again. I'm fucking... Fucking fuck because of these synthetics, you know? <laughs> Motherfucking synthetics. And then fucking uh, Horner's theme just starts blasting. You're like, oh shit, what is going on? And Bishop does show up. She's having her Hudson moment, you know, like, what the fuck are we going to do now? We're fucked, you know? And then Bishop pulls up behind her and she gets in the ship and flies away with the da 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 in the background. They get just outside of the planet's orbit, flash a light, planet explodes, end of movie, happy ending, right? Hell yeah, man. Everything's all good. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, it's not all good because just like in the first movie when uh, Ripley made into the escape pod and it turned out there's an alien in there. Uh, yeah, it turns out the queen fucking turned, you know, took the elevator right along with her and now she's on, t- uh, on board with everybody else yeah and lowers herself out of the air hatch or something like that from the the drop shit they were using you know yeah she used she used the uh the landing gear right to get in to get in there and uh fucking stabs bishop with her tail oh and it's a great it's such a great moment man it's such a i gotta talk about this because it's so fucking good man like because it's it's literally like the movie has been an action fest for the last like 30 40 minutes right so you're finally like, okay, they were winding down to the end. And Bishop's like, okay, everything's good. Everything's fine. We're, we're going to be okay now. And then the queen's fucking tail just juts out of his chest because she's impaled him. And then she rips him in half. Yeah. White blood everywhere. Fake entrails. This is where it is Ripley's time to fucking shine. Well, and- well yeah. Well, the, the queen goes after Newt. Immediately, yeah. Newt goes into the uh, the grates underneath the uh, this uh, this landing pad, this garage, or whatever yeah. this place is. This this hangar. So the queen is like, she's you know she's huge. She's fucking huge. Think of like uh, I don't know uh, the fucking T Rex from Jurassic Park, right? And she's like flinging all these like grates over her fucking shoulder, trying to get to Newt. And that's when this fucking door opens up, right? Ripley is coming out in the yellow power loader. That which they've introduced is, before. Which they have. They showed her how that she can how good she is at this. And this is not this is not a weapon. This is just a machine that people use to move equipment around, like big fucking heavy equipment. But you know, James Cameron has made it this machine is and with Ripley in it, she, you know, door opens, smoke machines, and she, you know, it's got the like machine sound she steps out line of the movie coming up next get away from her you bitch (laughs) dude man as a kid growing up my favorite toy of all time i bought well i bought i didn't fucking buy shit my parents bought for me (laughs) this uh it was the the power loader it was ripley in the power loader and uh i have it to this day it's fucking fantastic it's this yellow you know just like in the movie and you can press these uh these buttons on the on the wrists so the claws open up and uh to this day my you know my 10 year old daughter owns it now and it's uh man it's fucking great it's fucking great she fucking stares down the uh the alien queen tells her to go fuck herself and they go mano a mano man and this is the last battle of the movie it's fantastic it's animated well 
you know, the, the models they use work great. And it's like backhanded slaps with Ripley using the power load of arms and the Queens, you know, much more agile and trying to get around her and, you know, stab through the bars and stuff like that. And then uh, we get uh, <laughs> what has become a classic alien ending now. What ends up happening is is uh, Ripley, you know, pushes a button and she blasts the queen out in the space, just like in the first movie, which, yeah, you know, not original exactly, but it works in, uh, you know, with all the brouhaha that was going on before that, it's uh, it, it works just fine. And then, you know, Newt and Ripley are reunited and she calls Ripley mommy. And, you know, my heart, my heart melts a little bit and it's uh, it's fucking great. It's a great moment. A great moment of a great fucking movie. And, you know, it ends again with Ripley and Newt and Hicks in uh, a stasis pod and get ready for Alien 3, which we are going to do a podcast on. And we're going to get real mad in that one. So be ready for that. Check that out in a couple of weeks. I don't, I don't even I don't, <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say about that movie, man. I uh, I used to love it. But, uh, I got. I don't know. We'll see how ha- we will see what happens. Before we get to the final thoughts on aliens, uh, which I think you can pretty much uh, predict at this point, do you have any other anecdotes about this movie and you watching it when you were younger? So okay, so my one anecdote that I'll have about this movie, I'm glad you brought it up, is this. So the, I, I watched Aliens like Marcus. I watched Aliens before I watched Alien, and I, as a little kid, this is like you know preteen Luke. I did not understand how the aliens got into your chest to to burst out of your chest. So I somehow understood it as they were just in the air. You know, if you breathe them in, they'll go into your chest and they'll burst out of your chest and, you know, you'll become a big bloody mess. So I had nightmares for weeks. And I mean fucking weeks of nightmares, like at least two or three weeks where I could not sleep, would not fall asleep. And I was afraid to fall asleep without the blankets over my mouth and nose to filter out the eggs that were in the air. Because I thought that shit was going to get inside of me and then it was going to burst out of my chest and that was going to be the end of little Luke. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I, uh, it was uh, pretty traumatic. (laughs) That's my antidote with aliens, man. That movie scared the fuck out of me when I was a kid. The one thing I'll say about this one, the uh, the first ever 3D video game I ever played was when I got a PlayStation back when I was, uh, I don't know, eighth grade, freshman year in high school. I can't remember exactly what year, but it was something that I like saved up for myself to be able to buy this new system. And so I bought this PlayStation and the first game that I got for PlayStation was Alien Trilogy. And it came in, you know, like nice. those old school PlayStation boxes that were fucking huge. I remember that I had a hard time setting the system up. I couldn't figure out what was going on. Uh, I thought I had done all the hookups and I was really excited to play it. And I just couldn't get any picture or sound. Things were turning on. I couldn't get it on. Turned out I wasn't pushing the um, cables in in the back of the system far enough. And uh, when I did, the first thing I saw was the dropship of from aliens in video game form i'm like holy shit this is the greatest fucking thing i've ever seen before and it was like <laughs> they did it exactly like the movie i mean it looks like shit now i mean don't get right. me wrong but uh, but they had the lines <laughs> you know they had in the pipe five by five 
and uh you know like running in it's like hudson run a bypass and i'm like fucking jumping out of my seat i was so fucking excited incidentally dude incidentally this was also the time that i figured out that first person shooters have a tendency to make me dizzy sometimes (laughs) depending on how uh herky-jerky the movement is sure back in the mid 90s this was definitely herky-jerky so i remember when i first started playing this one i could play for like half hour max and then i had to go like look at a wall somewhere so i wouldn't throw up (laughs) yeah dude you're not you're not alone on that man there's there's a lot of people that that have that issue it's it's all to this day yeah so i don't oh yeah no it depends on the game yeah like mirror's edge fuck mirror's edge man (laughs) dude i have to look away from the screen every 10 minutes and lose my lunch mirror's edge was was rough dude even for yeah it's it's tough man just running just there's a lot going on in that game give me your final thoughts on aliens my final thoughts on aliens man uh what can i tell you this is a movie that makes me question my favorite movie all the time which is the thing man it's just i don't know man it's it's i haven't seen this movie in over 10 years and watching it tonight with you man i had more fun i just did i just it, it i mean if you ask me if you, had, if you put a gun in my head right now i would tell you this is my favorite movie of all time it's it's fucking amazing it's so fucking good and how dare James Cameron make a perfect sequel to the 1979 Alien? And it's a complete, almost a completely different movie. In, in yeah. fact, you know, as far as tone goes, it's an absolute classic. It's timeless. Maybe a couple of effects here and there haven't aged all that well, but overall, it is aged like fine wine. Fucking watch Aliens, you guys. If you haven't seen it, oh my god, do yourself a favor. Even if you have seen it, watch it again and again and again. It's uh, it's amazing. It's one of the best movies ever made, in my opinion. You know, it's almost unfair to compare Alien and Aliens. It is because there's they're just so different. And you know, the fact that James Cameron was able to make such a great sequel to a movie that is a downright you know classic is crazy. And I predicted in my last, in our last podcast that I was going to like aliens better than alien. And I do. And, you know, part of that is, you know, nostalgia for me as a kid and watching it a lot and enjoying it a lot, but I, I just generally like it better. And again, it's almost not fair because they're totally different, but they're both so good. I just, I could watch aliens whenever like Luke, I haven't seen this one fully in like quite a long time i've seen bits and pieces here and there and uh yeah i i definitely have to make this one more frequent viewing for me the movie we watched tonight was two and a half hours and it felt like I, it didn't feel like two and a half hours at all aliens is a great fucking action movie it's a great sci-fi movie it's a great horror movie i can watch the shit out of aliens I'm going to dip into the world of video games a bit. Luke did that a little bit with Fallout, and I'm going to bring one. Luke, I didn't tell you about this one beforehand, not for any particular reason. I just didn't get around to it. 
but <laughs> what I'm about to say, I guarantee you haven't thought of in at least 10 years, and you're going to agree with me, is that one of the best sci-fi games I ever played is called Enslaved Odyssey to the West. Oh, fuck yeah, man. If you have never heard of this game, I don't blame you, because it did not do well, unfortunately, despite the fact that it had a fabulous story, and the world building was great, and the graphics were great. So this movie, this movie, feels like a movie. This game came out in October of 2010 for the Xbox 360, amongst other systems. It is a a game loosely based on that old Chinese fable, Journey to the West. Yeah, yeah, from the, the Chinese <clears throat> novel, right? The 16th century Journey to the West. Correct. But it takes yeah. place in like the fucking apocalyptic future. Right, like after... So yeah, this game takes place after, you know, like the world has destroyed itself by war and famine and whatnot. And it's pretty far in the future because what's so cool about this world is that it's got, it's still got the city, but it's been such a long time since the world was destroyed, air quotes, that, you know, nature has started to reclaim places. And, you know, like the game is beautiful. It's lush. It's very green. And it stars a character named Monkey who is voiced and motion captured by Andy Serkis. Oh, and he's so good in this game too, man. Yeah. He's then he's, what is he I mean, not good in? Yeah, he's he's like a fucking master of motion capture. Uh, I mean, at this point, he's, you know, moved beyond that. But, you know, at the time, uh, when did this come out? 2010? 2010. You know, he, he already had, you know, Gollum under his belt. And I mean, he, he you know, he fucking nailed it as monkey. He was, he was fantastic. And so you play monkey and uh, the, the, I played a demo first. I was fucking hooked. And it was like the first you're on a plane. The first thing you do is you're on like this plane that's crashing and you've got to escape yourself. And that's where it introduces you, introduces you to the mechanics. It's like a, like a, like a third person over the slow shoulder slash top down action game where, uh, you know, almost think like a, um, think about like, you know, like the Batman games now, but not as combat heavy, you know? Yeah, it was almost like uh, if I had to like, so like, think of like the newer Tomb Raider games. It's kind of like yes. that. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, but it's also got a little bit of platforming. So, you know, you got to like jump and swing on things. Oh, a bunch, a bunch. Yeah. And this plane crashes and you are now sort of captured by this woman named Trip, who puts this electronic collar on your neck that will kill you if you don't help her get back to her town, you know, and you have to stay in the game. You have to stay in proximity to her. And if she gets attacked, you have to save her. And the coolest thing about this game and what, you know, people didn't see at that time for whatever reason is that the, the, the relationships between monkey and trip and how it evolves from this hostile place into this place of love over the course of the game is fucking fantastic and written so well for a video game of the 2010s. Oh, it is. It's great. It was, it, it's amazing. I, I completely remember this game because it's, it's, it was one of the best ones I've ever played as far as like story and gameplay at the beginning is just, just a really quickly, just a kind of, you know, lead into what Marcus is saying here at the beginning when, when trip, quote unquote enslaves monkey because she kind of does you know she makes him her servant so when she's like hey monkey throw me over here he'll fucking like 
at the beginning of the game, he'll fucking toss her like a yeah. fucking rock. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Fuck you. Like, get the fuck over there. Right? right. But then by the end of the game, he's like gently like tossing her up because they've developed this relationship. Like, it's just, it's a small thing, but it's, uh, it's subtle, especially for, you know, 2010. And, uh, it's, it's just really well done. Really just, just amazing. Their, their relationship is probably my favorite thing in that game. A couple interesting things about this game is that uh, it originally started as a like a fully CGI movie. That's right. I remember that. Yep. And uh, then it switched to a game after the team that was working on it stopped working on a sequel to Heavenly Sword. Do you remember that game? So I remember like Heavenly Sword. I, I, game. I, I played Heavenly Sword and I beat Heavenly Sword. And that was like playing a movie. That game was great. <laughs> I love <laughs> Heavenly Sword. And another thing about this game is that it was widely lauded by critics. You know, the video game critics loved the story, loved the game setting, loved the world, loved the, you know, the mechanics and stuff like that. And the unfortunate thing is that nobody fucking played it. And I can't figure out why. I don't know what it was. Maybe the marketing was bad or I, I just can't, I cannot figure out why people didn't play this game more. You know, honestly, on my part, I didn't know about this game until it was like, you know, $5 on sale. And yeah. that's when I was like, oh, I'll get it now, I guess. Uh, this looks good. And it's by the Heavenly Sword guys. Like, I like that game a lot. That's literally why I bought it. Because it was on, it was basically on sale for nothing. And because I recognized the, the game that, the you know, the developer said that before this one. Blown away. And then after I, I played it and beat it, I was pissed off that I didn't do better. Because the way it ends, you want more. Oh, yeah, you definitely want more. And there was a sequel that was planned, but, you know, it got canceled because they didn't make enough money off the first one. So why would they make a sequel? And I get it, but I'm still irritated to that game, irritated about that to this day, because I would have played it. I would have played it, man. I would have played it uh, a lot. Did did (laughs) you uh, did you ever play or download Pigsy's Perfect Ten? Yes, I did. uh, Yeah, I did. I got the DLC. I played that one too. <laughs> and I played everything that this game had. Yeah, uh, same, same. <laughs> you, you, you want to describe what Pigsy, who Pigsy was, real quick? I mean, it's I don't know. But Pigsy was like this uh, giant character, like super short, but very much a pig. And he was like he had a sniper rifle, and he lived in this uh, lived in this sort of like junkyard. And one of the when you when you meet him, you have to to get him to join your party. You have to like beat him in a race to the top of his junk pile or something like that. That's right. That's yep. There's a race. I remember that. It's been a while, but yes. Yeah. And he's, uh, he's, he's just sort of like a wisecracking, you know, comic relief sort of guy. He's a big fat guy wearing a pig hat. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> he's, <laughs> and he's totally like an antagonist for, uh, for, you know, when you first meet him, but uh, yeah, he joins your team and uh, the only as far as sequels or DLC goes, the only thing that we got was this DLC called Pixie's Perfect Time. And you get to play as him. And uh, I, I got to say, I, I don't remember much from that one. So maybe it, well, it wasn't it as wasn't, good. But... It wasn't as good as the main game because the mechanics were changed. Because, right. you know, you're you're not going to do all the jumping and running that Monkey was yeah, going to do. You're not Monkey so, or Trip. Yeah. Um, so it was just a little, a, little, um, a little slower pace. But, you know, I still, you still got to look at the world. So... You know, anyway, if go play Enslaved. If you got an Xbox, it's available on the Xbox store. <laughs> this is weirdly $15 still, but 
Uh, I'm sure you can probably find a, a physical disc copy somewhere for not too much money. And uh, it's backwards compatible. So fucking play that shit on your on your Xbox X if you got one. <laughs> yeah, it, it, seriously, like it, it's a great like hidden and I mean hidden hidden gem to uh, unearth and play uh, if you're into video games, uh, especially like, you know, it's like single player story focused games. It's it's one of the better ones out there to this day that at this point I'm going to go ahead and assume no one knows about. And uh, it's awesome. Also, uh, go ahead and check out anything related to uh, the original story, Journey to the West, because usually that shit is really, really good. Especially the uh, you know the novels is based on it's. Uh, from oh, and there's a lot of it. It's like there's one of a the lot favorite fables that people so like much. to use. There's so much. It's all good. And uh, hey, man, Enslaved uh, came from that. And uh, as video game and sci-fi fans, we're, we're uh, you know luckier to have uh, to have it. The Review to Death podcast is written and produced by the both of us. We release new episodes on Mondays and Fridays. Thank you to Groove Witness for the use of their music. You can find them at GrooveWitness.us. Check out our written reviews at the link in the description, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Review to Death. Thank you for listening. And Luke, tell us what's coming up next. Well, coming up next, we have a very special episode where we have a guest. His name is Kevin from Von Esper. And he's going to join us for a discussion on cult classic Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers, as well as uh, one of the stars from that movie, Dookie Flyspotter. That's pretty much all I got. Later, Gators. In case you haven't seen it, that's basically what it is. Because we're going to skip around a bitch. We're going to skip around this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> look into my eye. Motherfucker, look into my eye. You son of a bitch. Fuck you, that's what I mean. <laughs> you check that shit, Hudson. <laughs> Get over here. Get over here. <laughs> that's great, dude. <laughs>